Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. And good morning to all those of you that are sharing with us online as we continue this study. I'd like to open with a psalm this morning. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Thank you for your patience with me on this last week. I think I've got it right today. Uh, I'm supposed to be able to see. I don't have to do it. I should be able to do this. Ah, it works. It works. Uh, if you really have a complaint or gripe, there's all my phone numbers. <laughs> I wanted to show you last week, which I wanted you to have an understanding of, in terms of what Luther said about the about prayer in the large catechism. Understand the difference between the large and small catechism. The large catechism, small catechism, was supposed to be for parents and for families, etc., to look at and to learn and to be able to take home and teach. One of the things that has happened over the years is you see all that was supposed to be done at home. The catechetical studies that we do today where the church has taken it over really wasn't supposed to be that way. Fathers and mothers were supposed to teach that at home. And as Pastor Bill shared with you this morning, the catechism that we now have is a little more enlarged than Luther had. Over the years, we had decided to put Bible verses to support everything. Luther didn't put all that in his catechism. He just put his thoughts down for us. So, when it came to the large catechism, though, the large catechism was written by Luther for those who were to teach, because the priests at that time were uneducated. So, if he, if he was going to have the parents teach the stuff at home, the, the pastor, the priest, had to be able to teach the people, so he was giving them an understanding of what he was trying to teach to them, so they could teach to others. In his large catechism, Luther on prayer says, Before we explain the Lord's prayer part by part, it's most necessary to exhort and incite people to pray, as Christ and the apostles also have done. And the first matter is to know it is our duty to pray, because of God's commandment. For thus we have heard it said in the second commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain that we are there required to praise that holy name, call upon it in every need, or to pray. For to call upon the name of God is nothing else than to pray. pray. 
But praying, as the second commandment teaches, is to call upon God in every need. I think we need to have that in mind. Because sometimes, I think when we look at prayer, we, 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 we get, what is it all about? How is it? What is it all about? It's, it's our conversation with God. And Luther says to look at the second commandment, it's important for us to know this. Let this be first and most important point, that all our prayers must be based and rest on our obedience to God, irrespective of our person, whether we be sinners or saints, worthy or unworthy. So important. This is something that comes up a little later on I'm going to talk about today. I My cliché, and Carol, you know I'm terrible on clichés. It, it was a subject. <laughs> yes, nipped instead. Fools trot in where angels fear to trot. Is that Fred? Fred? Well, see, I knew I wouldn't get it right anyway. A little later on today, when we talk about the will of God, I'm going to take you into a territory that most pastors don't like to take you. Phil, you can help me out if I get stuck then. <laughs> I'm going to take you into Luther's bondage of the will. Because I think it's important for us to understand that because it really sets all of Luther's perspective on everything. And it's important, so I'll, I will tread there lightly a little later on. But anyway, in second place, we should be more urged and incited to pray because God has also added a promise and declared it is surely be done as we pray. Remember the promise I talked about there. See, spell check still doesn't work. Surely. Surely. See? It's the right word. Spelled right. Besides this, he should be incited and drawn to pray because in addition to this commandment and promise God anticipates us and himself arranges the words and form of prayer for us, and he places them upon our lips as to how and what we should pray, that we should see how heartily he pities us in our distress, and may never doubt that such prayer is pleasing to him, and certainly be answered, which, the Lord's Prayer, is a great advantage indeed over all other prayers that we might compose ourselves. You've heard Pastor Bill say that over and over these past couple of days, and it's important for us. The Lord's Prayer says it all. If you can't think of anything else to pray, if you get to a moment, you don't know what else to say. You, you know, I've had, I don't know, Pastor Phil's had it. I've been in rooms with people and you just don't know what to pull together. Pray the Lord's Prayer. It pulls it all together for us. And for Luther, it was most important for us to understand that. And this is, again, what he was teaching his readers, that this is so important about our prayer life. Our prayer life needs to be central for us. And again, you can't figure out what to say when. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Because you say it all. Christian Court F.D. Maurice said, The Lord's Prayer may be committed to memory quickly, but it is slowly learned by the heart. We kind of covered this last week. But it's true, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Now 
Harry Huxford in his book, this is the combination. The first three petitions center in the person of God. The fourth petition covers all that we need to our earthly existence. And if you were listening to Pastor Bill this morning, you heard that. Or if you haven't seen, heard Pastor Bill this morning, you will hear that. And the last two cover our spiritual needs for past, present, and future. Okay. Here is here there is comprehended in seven successive articles or petitions every need which ceases to relate to us and each so great it ought to constrain us to keep praying it all our lives. Again, spell check. All. All. At all. At all. So, I want you just to understand how key the Lord's Prayer was for Luther and what it meant for him to understand it in our lives and how important prayer is. Last week we touched, touched on the first the introduction. We talked about the first petition. The second petition, remember last week, we, we talked about, and Pastor Bill talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit in the kingdom coming. And, you know, as I said to you last week, we as Lutherans struggle with the third person of the Holy Trinity. Uh, we're good on Jesus. We're okay with the Father. The Spirit... But as I said to you last week, when you come to this and when we come to God's will today, I always go back to Luther's explanation to the third article of the Creed. And, you know, I said to you, I said to you last week and I would say to you again, but his explanation of the third article really summarizes for me, and it was so important for my life to hear those words, that I cannot by my own reason nor strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord nor come to him but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel enlightened me with his gifts sanctified and kept me in the one true faith even his calls gathers enlightens the whole church and that meaning of that article will make more sense to you in one sense when I talk about the bondage of the will because that's the root of where Luther comes from okay uh, let's see Third petition. That's where we are today. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? The good and gracious will of God is done even without our prayer. But we pray in the petition and may be done among us also. How is God's will done? God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, which does not want us to hollow God's name or let his kingdom come. And when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and faith until we die. Do you understand what he's talking about? About God's will here. What is God's will? The Lord's Prayer presents the answer. God's desire that his name be kept holy, that his kingdom come, by praying, thy will be done, God's people are asking the Heavenly Father to fulfill his promise to save because of Christ. Christ. 
think I left some of you with a question last week. What is the will of God? The name by trying to answer it? No. Love God and to love each other. Love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your spirit. And love your neighbor as yourself. Is that God's will or is that, I love, is that a guideline for us? <laughs> you know, I think your, your article there, as it says, God's will is going to be done even without prayer. Mm-hmm. So when we pray, that will be done. I, I've always considered it a, a uh, urging for me to be in harmony with that will. Okay. 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 God, let your will be done, which which causes me to therefore say, not my will, but, but time be, be done. done. But time be done. So it's a reminder to me. Okay. Okay. Anybody else? Yes. God's will is to give us never-ending paradise in perfect bodies. And we're fighting him tooth and nail to keep him from doing that. But it gets back to this right here. But his will ultimately is to give us never in the paradise in perfect peace, love, and harmony with each other. And we're just hell-bent not to do that. But that's what he wants. That's what he wanted in the beginning. Um, and we wouldn't have it. Uh, but that's his will, is never-ending paradise. Never-ending paradise? The restoration. Restoration. Okay, okay. The will of God. Okay. And, and I think it's important. I hope as, you're, as we're going through this, you also begin to see in the Lord's Prayer and in the explanations to the Lord's Prayer, there is a process of building. Okay? There is a process of building, of, of, of concept building. Remember, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. What was the kingdom? What is the kingdom? Now, thy will be done. See how it begins to flow? There's a flow to it. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then we get to the petition Pastor Bill talked about today. Give us this day our daily bread. See where it's coming from? See how it begins to... There's a connection between each of those? that the petitions build on one another. They flow out of one. That's probably the word I really want. They flow out of one another. They flow from our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, give us this day our daily bread. And then that one that everybody struggles with. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Are probably some of the more correct translations are save us in the time of trial. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. See how it fits? See where we're flowing? See how it's flowing through that whole prayer? Why it was such an important prayer? Why Luther began to see this prayer as the most important thing for us to learn and to teach and to try to understand and incorporate into our lives. 
God's will. Thy will be done. Lord the Catechism. This is what Luther has to say. Thus far we have prayed that God's name be honored by us, that his kingdom prevail among us, in which two points is comprehended all that pertains to honor God and to our salvation, that we receive our own God and all his riches. But now a need just as great arises, namely, that we firmly keep them and do not suffer ourselves to be torn from them, for as, in, for as in a good government, it is not, and not only necessary that those who build and govern well, but also those who make defense, afford protection, and maintain it firmly. So here likewise, although we have prayed for the greatest need, for the gospel, faith, and the Holy Ghost, that he will govern us and redeem us from the power of the devil, we must also pray that his will be done. Whew. Got it? <laughs> Got what Luther had to say there? <clears throat> we pray two petitions. Forget the introduction, our Father. Who art in heaven? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Remember we talked about the kingdom. Okay. Now we have his name honored, his kingdom among us. Now, thy will be done. Is how do we protect, how do we connect all that together in our lives? Hence, just as there is a great need in all of others that we pray without ceasing, dear Father, thy will be done. Not that the will of the devil and our enemies nor anything that would persecute and suppress thy holy word, hinder thy kingdom, and grant that whatever is to be endured on that account, lest our poor flesh yield or fall away from the weakness or sluggishness. In other words, what Luther is adding into the petition, what I like to say is, not only the positive about what we want, but also to protect us from that which would hinder that. Okay? You're, you're getting two things happening in a petition. Thy will be done. Thy will be done means just what you said. Okay? That I can act and do the will of God. That God's will is done in this world, in all that we do. At the same time, when we pray thy will be done, we're also saying... Help stop. Keep the devil away. Keep the devil away. Keep the evil away. Keep the... Well, whatever word you want to use out there, away. So it's not just do this one way in terms of giving us something. It's also giving us something to stop something, too. See, we don't sometimes think that when we pray that way. Thy will be done. Right. What's the will of God? What's that all be? At the same time, when we say thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're also saying, help stop that stuff which is going to hinder that. Yeah, as we look around the world and see things and say, why is evil prevailing? Lord, don't let it prevail. 
But you already see, Lord, don't let it prevail. But Luther tried to help us understand when you say, Thy will be done on earth as in heaven says that also. See, Luther makes us a real comprehensive understanding of the petition. That's why he calls it the perfect prayer. You don't have to pray, Hey, Lord, our Heavenly Father, stop all this evil in the world. He knows it. Otherwise, we wouldn't have Him as God and the whole concept. He knows that when you say, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, He knows that what the will of His is, and His will is what about evil? Does he like evil? No. So at the same time, when you're praying a petition one way, you also have to hear that Luther is saying you have to hear both, both and rather than either or for that petition. But we should still be praying about the evil. We can Just still like... be praying. What I'm trying to say to you is, when you pray this prayer, what we need for us to understand is they're both there. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Sometimes when we don't know what else to say, that covers it. Well, just as uh, scripture says, uh, you know, we come in and say, Lord, provide for us today. God knows what we need already, but he wants us to pray. Even so, with, with evil in the world, we know God's will is going to be done. It's still in that same vein incumbent upon us to say God we know evil is going on around us let your will be done yeah take care of it yeah let your will be done but at the same time if you listen to Pastor Bill this morning the understanding part of this is not only is that will done in God's hands but that will is almost transferred to our responsibility too as God's people You know, I, I sometimes think when we get to certain points in life, you know, we just, God help me do this, God help me to do that, God give me $700 million, God do this, God do that. And then when it doesn't happen, you don't listen to me. And my question is, what did you do to be a part of that process? I don't know about the $700 million, but anyway, you didn't buy your lottery ticket. I, I don't know. But, in, you know, it, there's a... There's a responsibility in there. But what I want you to hear, what Luther wants you to hear in the prayer is, when you say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God's will will be done, and God's will is what needs to be done, and God's will does, and God's will hinders, and does destroy evil. So whether we pray or not, it's going to be done anyway. But it's... It's a good thing to be praying. It's a good thing. Okay. My understanding of prayer, though, is like getting back to Abraham, chiseling God down on how many people does it have to be. That, that the prayer makes a difference in what he will do. And the, the more we pray, the less evil there is. Somebody was teaching in this class, I don't remember how many weeks ago, about if we really understood how much a difference prayer makes would be praying all the time. We wouldn't even be eating. We'd just be praying, praying, praying until we passed out. It, I do believe it changes us, and this is the perfect prayer. To me, you start with that. But then, 
he wants the prayer, but he makes a difference. He makes it come out differently if we pray. And well, what Peter's saying is that the, the specific matters too. It's saying you walk with God, and you, I see this bad thing in the in the shopping center here, and I pray the Lord's prayer. But then I say, you know, I see this Lord, you see this. I'm asking you as your child. It changes what you've done. It, it well, it changes your perspective on how you, how that happens too. Okay. It changes your perspective on how you see that, too. Okay. Well, could we say prayer is almost like worship? Uh, we always uh, hear it uh, said that God doesn't need our worship. We we come to worship because it's it's for us. Uh, coming and, and praising and, and worshiping uh, helps us as his people. Prayer as well. We know God's will is going to be done. If we are there participating in prayer, though, it helps to reinforce our own faith. Well, and, and the interesting part about this, you remember if you backed up, when I backed up, is on this one? No, it's the slide before. Um, see if I can get back there. When I was talking, when you were talking at the beginning about prayer, and remember that the concept of prayer was we need to be in prayer constantly, and then remember we get to the concept of prayer is that even in our prayers, it's who helps us pray. It's the Spirit. Remember we got to thy kingdom come. Again, there's that third person of the Trinity which we struggle with. We struggle with the third person of the Trinity. Uh, about the Holy Spirit in our life. Um, it, it, it just, a hundred million years ago, there was an, a book put out by, um, let's see, back then it was um, AAL. Some of you remember that, that Lutheran organization yeah. called Aid Association for Lutherans? It was called The Study of Generations. And it, it was huge, it was thick. And it was a study about Lutherans. And in that book, it said very clearly, Lutherans have no problems with talking about Jesus Christ. None at all. They can talk about Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They can talk about what Jesus did. They can talk about all the whole process of salvation. Then it said, secondly, they had no problem talking about the Father. And they can talk about creation, they can talk about life and all the rest of this stuff. But when it got to the Holy Spirit, they weren't sure what he was all about. <clears throat> Carol, I know I've said this story many times, but I have to. When I was in confirmation class, way back in the dark ages again, we were, we had, our church was in St. Louis, on one corner was our church, and across the street, across Gravois, across the street on the other side, was a Pentecostal church. Well, let me call it a Pentecostal Holy Rollers Church, that, okay? And one Friday night, we had confirmation class, and when confirmation class was over, some of us decided to sneak across the street... <laughs> 
to see what those people did over in that other church. So we did. And we snuck in the back door, and we snuck in the doors, and lo and behold, they were rolling all over the floor. You never saw kids screech back across <laughs> gravel, and, and I think that was our, that was for some of us, that was our, if that's what the Holy Spirit's going to do, I'm not sure that's what I want. <laughs> okay? But in a real sense, that's what the Holy Spirit does do. Not that you're going to roll on the floor, but to understand. That's why when I'm going to get to the, the bondage of the will, that's where Luther makes a, makes a, a statement of faith that has affected most of us in terms of our Lutheran confessions in a, in a very strong way. Let me see where I am. Betsy Ten Boom said, the center of God's will is our own safety. I want you to think about that. The center of God's will is our own safety. Okay, what is the will of God? Luther on the bondage of the will. Here's the book. Classic. First published in 1525. I want you to think how long ago that was, okay? Martin Luther's bondage of the will is acknowledged by theologians as one of the greatest masterpieces of the Reformation. And it's, it's, it is Luther's response to Erasmus's diatribe on free will, written in his direct and unique style. Combing deeply spiritually with humor, Luther powerfully writes about man's depravity and God's sovereignty. The crucial issue for Luther concerns what ability free will has and to what degree it is subject to God's sovereignty. I hope you keep it. That's a real powerful sentence there. The crucial issue for Luther concerns what ability free will has and to what degree it is subject to God's sovereignty. For Luther, this key issue of free will is directly connected to God's plan of salvation. Is man able to save himself? Or is his salvation entirely the work of divine grace? This work is vital to understanding the primary doctrines of the Reformation and will long remain among the great theological classics of Christian history. <coughs> Erasmus's argument. <coughs> Despite his own criticisms of the Roman Catholic Church, Erasmus believed that the Church needed reformation from within and that Luther had gone too far. Erasmus had asserted that all human beings possessed free will and that the doctrine of predestination was not in accord with the teachings contained in the Bible. He argued against the belief that God's foreknowledge of events was the cause of events and held that doctrines of repentance, baptism, and conversion depended on the existence of free will. 
He likewise contended that grace simply helped humans come to the knowledge of God and supported them as they used their free will to choose between good and evil, choices which would lead to salvation through atonement of Jesus Christ. You got it? He's arguing against predestination. What was Luther's position on that? Well, let me get to that. He's also argued, he argued against predestination, but he was also arguing about free will. Do you have the free will? Does free will contradict God's sovereignty? Do you know what free will is? You're right to choose. I'm going to tread on thin ice here. It includes your right to choose whether you're going to believe or not. Your decision for the Lord. Uh-oh. I'm not getting any eggs yet. <coughs> or tomatoes yet. Okay. This was the struggle. They weren't worried about Luther didn't believe in predestination either in the words that Calvin and Zwingli went into predestination. Luther's predestination, predestination, what we call the salvation, and that's found in, in what he talks about here. Okay. So you got this? This is Erasmus. Yes, ma'am. Help me here. So he's saying that if you totally use free will without being under God's sovereignty, you're going to fall off the cliff. Or the other way. The other way. Say what? You, by your free will, can choose whether you want to believe in God or not. Yes. Okay. That's the argument. That's what Erasmus was saying. That's that free will thing. (coughs) We all like free will. thought I had heard or understood that we have the will to reject God, but we don't have the will to accept Well, that's where we're going. You're, you've got one step ahead of me. Okay. That's, not, that's not called free will, though. Free will is choose or not to choose. Okay, it's a sticky wick, as I like to call it. When you hear the word free will, it means I can choose or I can't choose. When you hear what Luther has to say that you can not choose, that's not free will. That's what I said. It, 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 I said I, I made. I was thinking about this the other day when I said I'm not sure if I really want to go here. It's sort of a situation of he's right, but he's right, and they cannot both be right. Well. Okay, look, you got this? You got to stand this? Now look at Luther's. Luther's response. Luther's response was to reason that sin incapacitates human beings from working out their own salvation and they are completely incapable of bringing themselves to God. 
As such, there is no free will for humanity because any will they might have is overwhelmed by the influence of sin. Central to his analysis, both of the doctrines under discussion and of Erasmus' specific arguments, are Luther's belief concerning the power and complete sovereignty of God. Yeah, thy will be done. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Thy will, meaning God's will, uh-huh. will be done. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Luther concluded that unredeemed human beings are dominated by obstructions. Satan is the prince of the mortal world, never lets go of what he considers his own unless he is overpowered by the strong I come with an angle here, stronger power of God. When God redeems a person, he redeems the entire person. I think we need sometimes to understand that. Redemption isn't partial. <coughs> I sometimes think we forget that for ourselves. That God just didn't redeem a portion of you. He redeemed the entire person, all of you. His death on the cross wasn't just for your arm or your leg or, you know, for you on holidays and holy days. And the rest of the week, you're not redeemed. It is for the whole person. Including the will. Here's the catch. Including the will, which then is liberated to serve God. No one can achieve salvation or redemption through their own will power. People do not choose between good or evil because they are naturally dominated by evil and salvation is simply the product of God unilaterally, changing a person's heart and turning them to good ends. Were it not so, Luther contended, God would not be omnipotent and omniscient and would lack total sovereignty over all of creation. Get it? <coughs> Tough. So it means So there really is no free will. If you're unredeemed, you have um, <coughs> given over your will to evil. And if you are redeemed, God has um, taken over your will. You got it. That's what Luther said. Look at the last sentence. That's what Luther yeah. said. But then we still have the, the point brought up about free will allows you to reject it. As an example, right oh. now we're, we're dealing with uh, a uh, nephew who has come back from the, the war over in the sands and had gone over Christian and came back saying, after what he's seen, there can't be a God. You know, all religion uh, he rejects. Now that's a choice. To reject. To reject. And Luther would say that's true. But Luther would say if there is a process of accepting, and I use that word accepting in a very careful word, that's not his choice. That's because God is working in him. Through that's his rejection. Through his, through, yes, in some senses. See, my, why I always use that, one of, the, one of the questions, and Pastor Phil, if you ever had this question come up to you, I always used to have people, there were people used to come up and sometimes figure, and some of you have heard of sin against the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I've sometimes had people come up to me and say, I think I've committed sin against the Holy Spirit. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in anything anymore. 
And I would say, you can't ask, be asking that question if the Spirit isn't still dwelling in you. Think about it. Because if you're asking the question, something is still struggling. If you don't give up, you're not even going to ask the question. I'm not sure why I've gotten it. This is probably, but I offer this up. Whatever it is, free will must be really important to God. If you think about, if He is omnipotent, if He is that way, then how can He make free will? It's kind of like saying God can't make a rock that's so heavy and lift it. It's that kind of thing. So, and whatever it is, it must be very important to Him, and probably very hard to understand. I think we get we think about it too much sometimes. <laughs> That's for my son. My son it, it, he it, Dad, you're thinking about it too much. Um, but to me, that's the one thing to come back to is live your life like you have free will. Pray that God will fix your broken free will so I'm not of either one of these guys. But anyhow, that's not bad. It's just free will must be really, whatever it is, it must be really important. It's like, if you know everything already, then what do you really mean by free will? But you've given it to us somehow. We misused it, but it must be really important to you. And if it's, a, if it's really important, God gave it to you. Okay? That's what Luther's trying to say here, as difficult as this is. Luther's trying to say, all this is a gift of God. If it isn't a gift of God... For Luther, it goes against God's omnipotent and then omniscient. If God is omnipotent, which means what? And if God is omniscient, which means what? How could he go against himself? And yet Adam and Eve had free will. You either eat the fruit or not. And a choice was made. A free will. And that's why we fall into sin. Mm-hmm. That's where original sin came from. That serpent was the devil. Yes. Mm-hmm. See, but <laughs> you all have to. I have to. I'm a, I get off on a little one. A, uh, I could probably be um, taken up on charges or something like that. Mm-hmm. I get off on a little on the edge with with the original sin. Original sin to me had nothing to do with eating the fruit. Original sin to me had the had been what we've done ever since is the concept of buck passing. <coughs> you know, who told you, or she did, what did he did. And then the famous classic, the devil made me do it. <laughs> okay. I get away from the free will of eating the apple to understand that that whole concept of original sin is what we've been doing. We've been buck passing to God ever since. <coughs> We've been buck passing to each other ever since. That's not the real original way we look at original sin. I understand that. But it helps me to understand it's more than just a simple one-time act. It transformed everything. That's what we need to understand. That's what Luther's trying to understand here. It transformed us so much that we can't even choose the right thing. Erasmus was saying, you have a choice. 
You can choose the right or the wrong to believe or not believe in God. Luther is saying that act that happened so long ago corrupted you so bad you can't even make that choice. Now I understand how difficult that is for us. Because one of the things Luther's going against here, and he has another book out on it, and I can't remember the title of the book, but it has to do with faith and reason. Luther says at this point, in one sense, reason, uh-uh, you cannot use reason here. This is not reasonable. This doesn't make sense to this up here. This does not make sense in life at all. Because we are always given choices, aren't we? That's the way we live. And if you're going to transform that to this, Luther says, wait a minute. If you transform that to this, what's happened to the sovereignty, the omnipotence, and the, the uh, what word? omniscience of God? It's tough, my friends. I know this is. I said to you, this is probably the toughest thing that... Don't try to get into an argument with somebody on this. <laughs> don't try it because it won't work. Because you're trying to argue with reason. And you can't argue with reason at this point. This is what Luther's trying to say. Luther, Luther struggled with reason. And when it came to this point about the bondage of the will, Luther said it doesn't make reasonable sense, it doesn't make any sense at all. But then it does if you think about the omniscience and the omnipotence of God, that it can't be. It just... Phil, you're not helping me out there. Yes, ma'am. I have a question about the last sentence that Luther concluded that Erasmus was actually a Christian. What was Erasmus' response to that? Oh, Erasmus wrote three more volumes. <laughs> <laughs> you got to remember that. And actually, Erasmus wrote three more volumes. And after Luther's volume, nobody paid much attention to what Erasmus wrote. Okay. But he wrote three more volumes. Don't even ask me. He tried to refute Luther. But Luther, Luther had the gift. That every time, he even, in some of his things, if you read the book, you will find Luther takes what Erasmus says and says, that's not what that says. This is what that says. You, Luther has a great way of taking what you say and thinking you said it that way and turning it right around and saying, this is what it really means. We see that on the news every Here, Luther, the following quote hits the crux of the issue. Whether Christ alone saves or whether salvation is synergistic cooperation of man and God. You got it? <laughs> this is extremely relevant for today's Christian, for many of us carry the unbiblical assumption that Erasmus held. 
which wrongly concludes any command from God to believe or obey the gospel must somehow imply the moral ability to do so. Large numbers of evangelicals today make the same jump in unaided logic and build their whole theology on it. But as Dr. Martin Luther said to Erasmus, when you are finished with all your commands and exhortations, I'll write Romans 3.20 over the top of all of it. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. In other words, the command exists to reveal not our ability, but rather our inability. And this moral impotency not, does not take away from our responsibility to obey. You're getting so theology. You're theology. That's right. Where do your good works come from? Where do your good works come from? That's a response. Yeah, and God already has given you the good works to do. Did you hear Bill? When you hear the next article, give us to stay our daily bread. We are we we have a total understanding that God gives us everything. I know some of you like the four hundred one k's and all the rest of that. That's mine or something like that. But you understand that this is what this was a crux for Luther. This this set everything down that Luther understood, believed, and taught. And I will say to you, my friends, and uh, having been in the world out there, and having served in the military as a uh, BA chaplain, etc., one of the strongest struggles I ever had was getting classified as a Protestant. Because I'm not a Protestant. I'm Lutheran. And there is a big difference. A major difference. And one of the keys is right here. I do not make a decision for the Lord. I can't choose the Lord to be my Savior. That comes because the Spirit already dwells within me to make that statement. Now I know I... We are all going, oh, sure, I don't know. That's it. Now, uh, Carol, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but you did say this to me the other day when I was talking about it. How come Luther was so sure that Erasmus was wrong? <laughs> well, if you know Luther, how much time do I have? I got 10 minutes. Okay. Among the commands is God's summons to all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel. An impossible act of will apart from the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit uniting us to Christ. For it's beyond man's innate ability to believe when left to his own native resources. As Jesus himself says of Peter's confession of him as of the Christ, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. <clears throat> Let me finish this then. Only the quickening grace of Jesus Christ applied by the Spirit can illumine God's word in such a way to open blind eyes and deaf ears, wherein we are able 
to see and know the truth, beauty, and excellency of Jesus Christ. Those who are, those who are unregenerate cannot see Christ's excellency and thus have no capacity to love what is spiritual and so are not party but wholly dependent on God to translate them from darkness to light. If we do not have the ability to choose on our own, and it only comes through the Holy Spirit, what is the function of the Great Commission to go out and tell everybody? That the Word, we believe the Spirit works through the Word and the sacraments, the means of grace. Well, that almost sounds like predestination. It almost sounds like predestination, but it's not. Phil, you're going to say something back there. Help me out, Phil. No. <laughs> so by sharing the Word of God, we're sharing with them the Spirit of God. Yes, we are. Because it's not you that's really sharing the Word of God. Spirit it's the Spirit. Thing. You are the vehicle. You are the with that vehicle or the... Um, that's the other one I'm looking for. The why? Catalyst. The catalyst or whatever for that spirit to work through you. See, that's, sometimes I think we, we forget that. You know, when, when Pastor Bill this morning said, for you to sit down and have a cup of coffee with somebody and just sit there and talk to them about your faith or your experience, it doesn't say you're supposed to sit down there and try to convert them, did he? Did he use that word? No. I don't think so. No. He said, share what is happening within you. Because if you share what is happening within you and in your life, you are sharing the Spirit of God. You don't have to try to make somebody believe. You know, I, I know people who like to, to take this Believe! Works every time. <laughs> this is such a key. This is something so key for Luther. And he, he finds it, 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 it's found in the Lord's Prayer here. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God. And the will of God is, let's see if I got it here. This is what Luther says. I frankly confess that for myself, even if it could be, I should not want free will to be given to me, nor anything left to be in my own hands to enable me to endeavor after salvation. Not merely because in the face of so many dangers and adversities and assaults of the devil, I could not stand my ground, but because even were there no dangers, I should still be forced to labor within no guarantee of success. But now that God has taken my salvation out of my control of my own will and put it under His and promised to save me, not according to my work or running, but according to His own grace and mercy, I have the comfortable certainty that He is faithful and will not lie to me, that He is also great and powerful, so that no devils nor opposition can break him or pluck me from him. Furthermore, I have the comfortable certainty that I please God, not by reason of my merit of my works, but by the reason of his merciful favor promised to me, so that if I, 
work too little or badly. He does not impute it to me, but with fatherly compassion pardons me and makes me better. This is the glory of all the saints in their God. That should bring you a lot of comfort. Why I'm only thanked by God's <laughs> grace. <laughs> That's free. Yes, ma'am. I found it very freeing because um, I grew up in a church where there was a lot of emphasis on what to do in order to achieve salvation. We even had offering envelopes that at the bottom had little squares that you could check every week. Read my Bible, brought my offering. I was on time today. Um, you know, all, and if I didn't have every square checked by Sunday morning, I thought, oh dear, I'm in trouble again. When I got to the Lutheran church and heard this news, I thought, they must have it wrong. I know where they're all going. <laughs> And then it came home to me that this was the truth. And that it just freed me so much from all that labor and all that working and all that hardship, all that heaviness of um, the guilt. figuring it all out myself. And the guilt. And the guilt, too. And yes. performance. Exactly. We must all so perform. This, yeah. But I never heard anything about Erasmus growing up, but I certainly heard that doctrine. That, you know, this is where it is, and this is where you need to be, and this is what you need to be doing. Because if you don't, it's going to be held back, literally. And, and you understand, for even as, as a pastor, and I've done this over time, it's very, it's very easy, because of our human nature, to move over that line pretty quickly. <laughs> okay? If I'm to say to you, now that Jesus has saved you, you must do this, this, and this. I've crossed the line, according to Luther. You're saved through Jesus Christ. Now, he has given you the gifts to be able to do this, this, and this. See the difference? It's a fine line difference, my friends. But it is key to understanding Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of God. And I said to you, if, you, if we get into, we won't get into the fourth petition today, but when you get into the fourth petition, as Pastor Bill did this morning, or you will hear him say that, you begin to hear where, how all this begins to fit. It does flow. The pieces fit together. <clears throat> Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who trespass against us. I do not believe that's a conditional clause. I believe it says, forgive us our trespasses and we will forgive those who trespass against us. Now, that puts a different onus on it, doesn't it? <laughs> that says if God forgives us, we have... We have no choice. We should be forgiving one another as God has forgiven us. Think about it. Well, I think I have graciously tread where angels 
Oh, fool has stopped going in where angels fear to try it. Don't even try it. Don't even try it. But I want to give you some food for thought, okay? Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.